Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. If you've been with us for about the last, I don't know now, six, seven weeks, you already know where we're going, but I'm going to wrap it up today. I'm going to conclude it today, talking about the, the power and the purpose of the church. We have been reviewing that until we understand the true purpose for something, uh, we cannot truly receive the full power of something. The power is always locked in the purpose. And the purpose is always with the manufacturer. I know that we live in a world where we want to redistribute and redefine and re-acknowledge and, and, you know, put new terms on different things or we want to shape everything according to our experiences, according to what we believe is relevant. But you know, God just doesn't work that way. He just doesn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in a culture that's always ever-changing and ever-morphing um, and ever-trying to become what is around it rather than changing what's around it, that can be very confusing. That can be very confusing today. And so much of the church uh, and the power of the church and the purpose of the church is misleading and is misguiding and even confusing. I believe that there are a lot of confused Christians in the world today because they're trying to reconcile a word, a word that has no limits, a God that has unbelievable power, the God that has expressed himself in such miraculous ways. And they're trying to reconcile that with the absence of all that in today's world. It's almost as if we have a Bible that completely contradicts everything around us. And part of that is because we live in a fallen state. But I don't believe all of it can be blamed on the devil. And I don't believe all of it can be blamed on Adam and Eve and the first initial sin that welcomed all of that depravity and all that destruction. I have a hard time reconciling that we can blame the world and we can blame sinners and we can blame the immorals and we can blame the left and we can blame the devil and we can blame uh, the weak and the immature when I read words like what's found in Matthew chapter 16 that Everything that happens in this planet falls and rises on the church. And I do believe that there is an uh, element of weight that can be appropriated to the devil. And there's an element of, of blame that can be appropriated to Adam and Eve and their first initial sin. But when I read things like whatever you forbid on earth is forbidden in heaven and whatever you allow on earth is allowed in heaven, I feel the church is at fault to a degree for what's happening today. And so take these messages. I'm going to conclude it today. We're wrapping it up today. Take these messages as a call to arms. I'm charging the church. Someone told me this past week. How many of you were here last Sunday? I commend you for returning this Sunday. Either you're a glutton for punishment or you're just like, man, that was really, I got, you know, 
more responses from last Sunday's message. Someone told me, man, if anybody wants to know where our church is at, all they need to do is just refer to Sunday, April, what was it, 24th, 2022. I mean, I laid it out for you. And that's just how I am. I mean, you know, that's just kind of how I'm wired. I'm a cut and dry guy. I'm black and white. I, 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 it's either this or that. Uh, you know, there's more people that, that are gifted with that ability to kind of play in that gray area a little bit. That's just not me. I've tried. It just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It's like wearing uh, shoes that don't fit or putting on a, 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 you know, it feels like David trying to put on Saul's arm. I just, that's not how I fight. That's not how I battle. I don't work that way. And so you'll just have to excuse me on that. That's just, you know, again, how I'm wired a little bit. But, you know, I think that uh, we're in a position today where things need to be a little, we need clarity. I believe the result of ministering the word should not be further confusion, but clarity. He's not the author of confusion. I'm going to let you know where, I, where my standards are. We're going to let you know as a church where our standards are. And I believe God is letting us know where his standards are. I don't think we need the confusion that we incorporate. Confusion is the result of too many voices. Confusion is the result of too many voices. We lend ourselves to so much counsel. So many different directions. And then we wonder why we wake up more confused today than we were yesterday. And that's, you know, honestly, that's how the enemy operates. If he can just confuse it. He took a simple command, do not eat of the fruit of this tree. A simple command, I mean, black and white, that, that's the kind of commands I like. You know, I feel like if we were in the garden, I, I would have made it. I think we all feel that way. Like, come on, man. You got so many other trees to choose from. I'll tell you why else I would have made it. I don't eat fruit. I'm serious. I do not eat fruit. I've tried a lot of them. I don't eat them. Now, the devil would have to tempt me with like a cow or something. <laughs> he wouldn't get one over on me. I, I don't want it anyways. Not going to work for me. There's no fruit that's tempting enough much more to, to give away a kingdom over. But that's how the enemy operates. He lives in the land of confusion. So if he can't keep you from becoming it, he'll just confuse you what it's supposed to be. If he can't keep you from becoming a Christian, then he'll just work to confuse you on what a Christian really ought to look like. Come on. If he can't keep you from the blessing, then he will misinterpret the blessing or get you to misuse the blessing, right? And all this goes back to purpose. All this goes back to if you know what the intent was of the manufacturer when it was created, then you get, you, you cut away all the mess and you cut away all the stuff that tries to confuse. I mean, today people are confused about some of the most basic things, DNA. Elena, can you tell me what your instructor told you, that statement? Sex is biology, but gender is cultural. She learned this in a state university. I won't tell you which one, but it's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, it's, 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 it's confusion, man. If I can't keep you from it, then I'll just confuse you on what it was intended to be and how it was supposed to, intended, supposed to operate. So Matthew chapter 16, this is why we're doing what we're doing. I had someone text me this message. They called me a wartime pastor. A wartime pastor. I don't think I know fully what that means, but I'm willing to walk it out and discover it and, and be whatever that is supposed to be. But Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Again, reading in the Passion Translation. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this rock will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church. Those five words that Jesus spoke, I will build my church. And, and can I just take a little detour right here? It's never really your church. I mean, I know what we mean when we say that. Anchor Faith Church is my church. Cross Point Church is my church. Crossroads is my church. I understand what we mean. That's where I attend. That's where I have committed myself, where I've become a member, where I'm serving, where I'm giving, uh, where I am making myself accountable to. I get what that means. But at the end of the day, we have to keep this connection, keep this in mind. It's never my church. I don't get to do with it what I want and how I please. It belongs to someone else. Jesus. It's his church. I will build my church, which again tells us he's taken personal responsibility in the building of his church. I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I love that that immediate that's why that stood out to me, a wartime pastor, a wartime preacher. Why? Because we're at war. We're at war, and the church was designed to fight, restrain, and restrict an opponent. I mean, right out of the gate, I want to remind you, this is the first time Jesus mentions church. We're 16 chapters into the book of Matthew, into the, into the New Testament, into this gospel that he's now introducing us to. And he's mentioning the church for the first time. And when he mentions it, he says, there's an opponent that will not be stronger or greater than the church, the church that I'm building. The church that I'm putting in place, the church that I'm installing, the institution that I'm incorporating. He lets you know right out of the gate, there's an opponent that wants to stop you, and it will not. The gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. The gates of hell will not withstand. That also tells us this, that we are the ones on the offensive. We're the ones bringing an onslaught on the devil. The devil's not bringing an onslaught on the church. We've had this backwards for so long, and we wonder why we become so defensive. We wonder why we're trying to shoot ourselves in the four walls. We wonder why the church is becoming more and more irrelevant as the day draws near. It's because every problem that shows up, we're supposed to be attacking it. And we find ourselves running from the very thing we should be running toward. He says the gates of hell will not overcome it. The power of death will not be able to overpower it. He says, I will give you, verse 19, the keys of heaven's kingdom. The second thing he does is he institutes authority. Keys are authority. Anything you have the key to, you have access to. 
you have been authorized to access. I've used this example many times. There are individuals within this church right now that have keys to this building. And not one time would I ever question that individual for accessing the building to which I have given them a key to. And if they ever came up here, and this has happened, and they could not enter the building, what's the first thing I'm going to ask them? What's the first thing you would ask them? Where's your key? (laughs) That's what I ask. Pastor Chris Musgrove, every time he drives up here, I couldn't get in the building. This one time I was back in my office and he came. He's texting me. Can you let me in? Because he sees my truck out front. He knows I'm here. Text back. Where's your key? Man, I make him wait. You're on my time now. No, keys give you access. They give you the authority to access. He says, I'm giving you the keys to what? Heavens, kingdom, realm. Why is the church living like it's limited by the things of the world? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Of means source. It means where you come from. And as citizens of heaven, we should never allow our earthly citizenship, or even our American citizenship, to become more powerful in our life or more of a priority in our life than our kingdom citizenship. I do not rely on the limitations of this world to do what God's called me to do because he's given me keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. This gives us a a, a very deep insight. This gives us a a very deep uh, picture from Jesus himself, the head of the church. He's building his church. This lets us know right out the gate from the, from the get-go. He's, not, he's, he's doing the black and white thing that I like. He's doing the cut and dry thing that I like. And we're the ones that confuse it. We're the ones that manipulate it. We're the ones that say things like, oh, well, he means when we get to heaven. He means when we die where we become irrelevant on the earth. You're telling me you're going to be able to change the earth without being in the earth? You're telling me that I have to die before I can access this power and access this authority? You're, you're telling me that I have to just wallow and, 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 and just sit through all the mess down here, just watching it all implode on itself? I'm telling you, heaven is populated with people that are now discovering what they had on the earth. Heaven is populated with people that are now discovering, oh, I didn't have to put up with that. I didn't have to tolerate that. I didn't have to allow that. That could have gone a different way. I could have spoken to that. I could have rebuked that. I could have healed that. I could have delivered that. I could have broken free from that. Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. Because you have access to heaven's kingdom realm. You've been given the key for the very purpose of changing what's around here. And I just have to believe that God is a bigger God that he's not waiting on us to die to become powerful. 
He's not waiting on us to die to become relevant. He's not waiting on us to depart to destroy the works of the devil. I believe that the Bible is real. I believe that the Bible is not just stories of the past and it's not just a picture of the future, but that it is ever present right here with us and can be enacted in anyone that will simply believe. If you believe in me, these works that I do, you will do an even greater works. And these signs will follow them who believe they will lay hands on the sick and see them recover. They will cast out demons. Today I want to wrap up with the uh, if you weren't mad at me after last week, maybe this will do it. I'm going to present it with as much grace as possible. But I feel that I cannot fully encapsulate what the power of the church is and how the church ought to operate if we don't talk about the leadership of the church. The leadership. And how God has installed, uh, installed the leadership element and the authority element within the church and why we need the five-fold ministry. Uh, guy who, uh, is that Aaron back there? Aaron, if you can uh, pull up Ephesians chapter 4, and you guys can turn there as well. I'll go there next. I did not give that one to you. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 11. And I'll also say this. Um, even in last week's message and today, it's to give you a picture and a glimpse, but I want to I say it this way. A lot of what was said really ought to have been directed to and lies on the shoulders of the leadership. Last week, we took, the, we, we took a look at four contrasts within the church. That, I, that where we have fallen off, where we have deterred, where we have departed from its intentional use and uh, purpose that Jesus instituted the church for. We saw the audience and the army. Are we just growing audiences or are we raising, building an army? We saw, are we ministering to the soul or are we ministering to the spirit? Right? Are we building a church toward our preferences or are we building a church on the purpose of God and the purpose of what he's called us to do. And um, programs or power. Are we just instituting more programs because we're minimizing the power? And every time we don't see power in something, we create a program to replace it. The enemy's good at replacing things that don't work for you. The enemy is good at giving you counterfeit alternatives. He'll do it. He'll do it all day long. So in those four contrasts, you know, honestly, I, I was telling my wife even afterward, I said, you know, I could really make this like a leadership lesson or direct this toward pastors, direct this toward, toward leaders, because those, for me right now, are, are the four areas where we're compromising on. Those are the four areas where we are are you know, either veering off ever so slightly or just taking hard exits away from God's purpose and saying that doesn't work for me. Uh, you know, the, the building of an army is too challenging for people. Let's go after the audience. 
So whether it's just a, a hard, you know, 90 or, or we're, we're saying, you know what, this is what I'm trying to do, but we're instituting and compromising little things here and there that allow us to veer off. Whatever it is, it's really directed more to the leaders. It's giving you a great picture and a great image of what we're doing here at Anchor Faith Church. And it's giving you a great idea of ultimately what the church shouldn't be compromising in and what we should be maintaining and what we should be keeping as the main thing. You know, I believe very strongly in non-negotiables. I do. In your marriage, you should have non-negotiables. With your parenting, you, have, you should have non-negotiables. In your businesses, you should have non-negotiables. In your life, you should have non These are not up for negotiation. This is not up for, for debate. This is not up for having a conversation and seeing if we fall in this. There are non-negotiables that I have in my life. There are non-negotiables I have in this ministry and in this church. There are areas where I simply refuse to cut regardless of how it is received by the other party. And I believe if you let a non-negotiable go, you will never get it back. Because whatever you cut to get to where you want to be, you'll have to continue to cut to stay there. You can't can't put the standard in place after the fact. And you can't reach high values with low standards. You cannot. You cannot. If we're going to be a value-driven church, if we're going to reach the goals and the, 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 the mission of what God was accomplishing through the church and desiring to accomplish through the church, then we're going to have to maintain some standards. We're going to have to set some non-negotiable. We're going to have to put some criteria in place, and we just don't bend or break on it. And it's not a matter of viewpoints or perspectives or, or, or well, preferences. At the end of the day, it is what it is. Got to do it the way God says to do it. And so today, I want to talk about leadership. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the leadership of the church, the authority of the church. Verse 11, he himself, everyone say he himself. That's Jesus, capital H. He himself is Jesus. So Jesus says what? I will build my church And then now he says he himself gave some. So this is Jesus giving these gifts. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, we know this, if you, you know, depending on the church circles you've been in, but what, the way I grew up in the circles that I've been in, we call it the five-fold ministry, the five-fold ministry gifts, because there's five of them. That's, that's the only reasoning behind it. Nothing spiritual, nothing special. There's five gifts that he's given to the church. He's given to believers, some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they are not listed in any particular order. 
They're not listed in any certain order of, of value or rank or status or how we should give value to one over the other. They're all extremely important and extremely needed in the body of Christ, even to this day. There are those that will tell you that some of these gifts uh, are, have diminished in value. There are some that will tell you that, that, that some of the gifts aren't even in existence today. There are people that will tell you that apostles and prophets aren't even in, in working in the churches today. What Bible are you reading that gives you any inclination that, that, that God is all of a sudden evolving or changing like we do? If it was necessary for the church in infancy stage, I got to believe it's even more necessary in mature stage, in grown stage, in developed stage. No, they're all needed, and they all work together. In fact, it doesn't work if they don't work together. So an evangelist can't call out a pastor for not having a zeal and passion for the lost, and the pastors and teachers can't call out the evangelist for only caring about unsaved people and not maturing the flock. We need them all. And I can't look at an evangelist and say, man, what a great gift he has. I mean, he gives an altar call, and 300 people raise their hand, and there weren't even 300 people in the room feels like that sometimes. There's 100 people in attendance and 300 were led to the Lord. How is that happening? What, is, what are you doing? But the evangelist can't, get, can't, can't look across the aisle at the pastor and say, man, I, I wish I could help people and counsel people through that. You ever try to get counseled by an evangelist? It's a circus. It, it's not good. They probably weren't even listening to you. They were probably thinking of what to say as you were talking. We need all the gifts. And we need them in operation. And we need them in operation today. We need the prophetic. We need the apostolic. Those that engineer and those that design and those that install and those that plant. And then they move from one thing to the next and they're just busybodies and they're just visionaries. And you feel like you can't ever get them tied down to one thing. They're trying to do 15 things. We need those individuals. That's the way my pastor is. Pastor Earl is an apostolic pastor. He's pastoring, but he's one that he, he's running 90 to 100. And you got to, man. You're sucking wind just to keep up with them sometimes, it feels like. like. Pastor, we're still on the thing you said over here. We need them. We need the teachers. If you think they're boring, too bad. You need it. If you think the evangelist is too loud, too bad. You need it. We need these gifts in place. And I'm telling you, if Jesus said, if Jesus said, if Jesus gave the gift, why would I reject a gift Jesus gave? Why would I do that? And it doesn't say gave some to be apostles or prophets or evangelists or pastors. It's and, and, and. We need them all in operation. Why do we need them, verse 12 tells us? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That verse is so loaded. I'll try to do it quickly. For the equipping of the saints. You know what that means? When you come here, you're not fully equipped. 
If you had it all together and you didn't need any developing or equipping, then apparently you don't need a five-fold gift. But the, the very fact that I need a pastor, and I believe pastors need pastors. Can I just say that? Pastors need pastors. Every one of these gifts need to have some level of accountability oversight in their life because it helps equip them. Equipping the saints. That means we all need equipping. That means there's something in you that needs to be tweaked, needs to be worked on, needs to be developed, needs to be uh, uh, revealed. Sometimes you, you may walk into church, you may not even realize you had a gift for that. Or you may have thought it was a problem and a pastor will help you see, you know what, that's actually a great thing. You thought you were being too judgmental and a pastor saying, man, you're aware. Come on. Because that's another thing the devil will do. If he can't keep uh, you from possessing a gift, he'll make you think it's a problem rather than a blessing. It's just, I, you know, I just, I just critique everything. I just see everything that's wrong. I mean, as soon as I walk in a room, I just see the picture that's not hanging perfectly. It's not centered on the wall. That, you know, there's this shade of that and this shade of this. And, and, and that can be a blessing in the kingdom of God. But vice versa, you may know what your blessing is. And you may be trying to, to, to utilize it as a problem. And so we have to tweak that. So we have these great ministry gifts given to us directly by the church, by Jesus, who, I'll remind you, is building the church. So if he's building the church, don't you think he would know what needs to be in place to help build it? I mean, that's pretty dangerous if you got a builder or a contractor that doesn't know what supplies are necessary. Oh, we need a wall over there. Uh, I don't know if we need eight foot or nine foot studs. I don't, you know, just buy one to see what works. That's not going to work. You ever sit down with a contractor about building something? They are so specific. I mean, down to the, the, the millimeter specific. It's amazing watching those guys work. It's incredible. And when I think about that and I think about how Jesus is building his church, he knows the specifications of what it ought to look like, and he knows exactly what needs to be supplied to get it in its place to allow it to become what he's called it to be. Now, if you're trying to build something different than what Jesus is building, then, yeah, you're going to use different supplies. Then you'll say silly things like, we don't need apostles. Well, yeah, you're not going to need an apostle to build what you want. But are we building his kingdom or our kingdom? No, I'm going to build it according to Jesus. He's building the church for the equipping of the saints. Notice that the, 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 the mere qualification for receiving the gift is the saints. It's believers. It's Christians. Those that have committed their lives to the lordship of Christ. So as soon as you come in, the first thing you should be looking for is a ministry gift. First thing you should be looking for is a pastor. First thing you should be looking for is who am I going to submit myself under? Who am I going to submit myself to? Who am I going to keep myself accountable to? What house am I going to? This is why the local church is so important. And, you know, I just found it so interesting two years ago when all the shutdowns were taking place. They didn't care if the bars were still opened. They didn't care if Home Depot was still opened. I'm going to preach it whether you like it or not. They didn't care if Walgreens was still open. They didn't care if Publix was still open. They didn't care if Longhorn was still open. But for some reason, this was a danger zone. We get up in here, and apparently we just spitting all over each other and laying hands on each other. 
Or maybe, I'm not saying, you know, no, I'm, not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm, or maybe the devil just knows the power of this entity and this element, and he wants to keep you from receiving that to turn this whole mess around in the first place. Maybe. And people gather all, 100,000 people watched a Georgia Bulldog game, and the same weekend, churches were closing their doors again. Three months ago, four months ago. In 2022. Come on, we're better than that. For the equipping of the saints. For the work. Oh, there's that word. There's that four-letter word for the work of ministry. Wait, so the five-fold ministers aren't doing all the work of ministry. The work of ministry. Ministry takes work. It takes work to do what we're doing. It takes work to build the church. It takes work. You may not be uh, uh, the, the chief cornerstone, but we all have a part to play in building the church of God. And it takes work. It takes service, which is the next word I want to highlight, the work of ministry. And I'm going to tell you right now, when, when we say ministry today, we don't have the same picture that Jesus had or that Paul had when he wrote this to the church at Ephesus. When we think ministry, we think holding a microphone. Standing behind a pulpit, up on a stage. We think playing an instrument. We think a crowd. We think sermons. We think outlines. We think Bibles. We think reciting scripture. We think three points and a closing. We think, we think taking up an offering. We, we, this is what we think when we think ministry. And you know that word ministry, however many times it's repeated in the New Testament, it means the same thing every time. It means to wait on in the act of service. To wait on in the act of service. It actually it has a closer representation of the restaurant you go to this afternoon when I'm done talking. And feeding your spirit. You're going to go feed your flesh after this. And you're going to have a waiter or waitress come by and say, what would you like to have? Can I refill your drink? Would you like anything for dessert? Which they already know we're going to say no because we got stuffed up on the other stuff. But they ask us anyways because they have to. That's actually a better model of the word ministry than what I'm doing right now. Ministry has nothing to do with holding a microphone. It's changing a diaper. It's feeding goldfish. It's passing offering buckets. It's welcoming people to your church at the doors as if you have been waiting all your life to meet them and receive them. It's remembering their name. It's stopping and praying for them. It's lending an ear and saying, what's going on in your life? How did that situation go? Is everybody okay? What can we do to help you? 
It's feeding people when they've had a loss in the family or, or, or they're, they're just returning home from the hospital. It's, it, it, it's, it's so much more. Please stop relegating ministry to the high and mighty, to the stuff you see on TV or you watch across the screen on YouTube. Please stop relegating ministry to just a few when we are all called to do the ministry of the kingdom of God. Every single one of us. Somebody provided their ministry of hanging drywall in this church, and that's why you have walls built in, in your preschool. Somebody uh, uh, brought their gift of painting. Somebody brought their gift of playing an instrument. Somebody brought their gift of scrubbing floors and toilets. Somebody's brought their gift. Yes, that's ministry. There's more ministry that happens in this place Monday through sat uh, Saturday than there does on Sunday morning. Again, we cannot, when I say ministry, your idea or God's idea. When I say church, your idea or God's idea. This is the stuff we have to start diving down into and saying and asking the questions. Am I doing it according to God's design or have I bought into a lie or have I been uh, uh, working on a counterfeit alternative of what God really wants me to be after? What, he's, what his intention and his purpose really was. It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The result is the strengthening of the body of Christ. The encouragement of the body of Christ. You should be encouraged, not discouraged. Right? You should be better when you leave here, not worse off. Or the same. By the ministry that's taking place. That's what I pray every Sunday morning. That's what our, our, all of our Elevate teams across this church, that's what they're invested in. Is making sure that you come to a place where you can easily and without as many distractions as possible, receive the message of the kingdom, worship the king, Fellowship with other like-minded believers. That's the goal. We're all coming together. The edifying of the body of Christ. How long do we do this, Paul? Verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. So basically he's saying forever. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed the unity of the faith almost, you know, is, is a foregone conclusion. So he's saying, until you all are unified around the faith, the mission of the church, the mission of, of, of God and his intent to restore his kingdom, until you're all unified in that and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a tall order. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, but uh, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Oh, we, the church has got to get better at that one. Love without truth just isn't love. You just don't love them. If you won't give them the truth. You don't. 
You love their friendship with you more than you love their soul being restored. That's all I'll say about that. We may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, so we are the body, he's the head, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You recognize you're a joint. You know what that means? You're connecting one thing to another. That means none of us gets to go rogue. None of us gets to operate in our own world and on our own island. None of us gets to do what we want, how we want to, that everything you do is, is either helping or hindering someone else. Got to recognize this now. And the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I've always said I'd rather grow something healthy than quickly. And sometimes I think that when we uh, try to achieve things too fast, we compromise the overall health or what is actually sustainable. But ultimately, this is God's uh, intention through his son, Jesus. I will build my church and I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven. But you need gifts ministering to you, equipping you, developing you, encouraging you, uh, critiquing you, correcting you. So that we can all achieve what was just written in verses 13 through 16. That we can become a perfect man resembling Christ himself. That we can speak the truth without compromising love. And be love without compromising truth. That we can grow the body of Christ and ultimately do what he's called us to do back in Matthew 16. Forbid on earth and allow on earth what is forbidden and allowed in heaven. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11. You know, I'll say this. I, I don't base my preaching and what I bring to you on worldly events, current events, what's happening. I, I, I'm, uh, I guess the way to put it, I'm not a reactive or responsive preacher and pastor. I don't look at the news feeds and the buzz feeds and, and, and what is trendy. I mean, they're, they're, I've, I've listened to some preachers, and they're good preachers because I don't listen to bad preachers. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's very evident that they have been listening to the circles the past week. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I can't tell you how many individuals in the, the, the service after the whole Chris Rock Wilson. I actually found out about the Chris Rock Will Smith thing from a pastor. I didn't know what he was talking about. I had no idea what was going on. That's where I found out about it. 
on a platform with a pulpit. You got an opportunity to minister the word of God and we're just finding the next trendy topic to pull on and to dive into and, and, and just, just trying to be relevant, I guess. So I, I, I don't devise my messages that way, but I will say that there are things that happen that burden me. I don't know if burdening's the right word. It's heavy on me. And I'm sensitive to the spirit in those moments to say, is that something that we need to, is that something that we need to bring up? Is that something we need to address? And so uh, partly of, of getting into these series of talks and ministering along these lines was because of things that I had been seeing and reading about that was happening in the churches. And every single one, you could trace it back to the leader. And I believe that as the leader goes, so goes the nation. As the leader goes, so goes the house. As the leader goes, so goes the church. And I've been watching, you know, Pastor Ashley and I have planted a church in the midst of a season and, and just uh, culturally speaking where, you know, the church you know, at a time had become more and more irrelevant. I mean, the, the statistics today, you know, if you're just looking for a career, ministry and pastoring a church would not be at the forefront. Especially in the United States of America, it's either becoming a dying commodity that people only do out of religious duty or when it's convenient, um, or it's overused and misused and abused in what the church was really called to do. So either you're, you're trying to build a church with people that don't care about it, or you're building a church and you're filling it with people that don't really understand what the purpose is anyways. They want to create their own. They're building castles, not kingdoms. And so in the midst of all that in the last 10 plus years, 10 and a half years now, you know, we're working diligent and hard at what we know God has called us to do. And I'm going to share a little bit from my heart today, if that's okay. I'm going to share a little bit, you know, personally, um, um, you know, as a pastor. Uh, because, you know, I, I've said this before, but it seemed that really since about 2004, uh, there, there became this tangent and there became this path that pastors went down and, 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 and look, as a pastor, I understand the struggles. I understand what they're up against. I understand, um, you know, when you've got maybe individuals that give a certain uh, percentage of the overall income of the church. And so you're thinking in the back of your head before you say something or how you address or respond to that individual, the weight of if we lose that, then we can't pay for this. I get those things. I'm, I'm not justifying, I'm just saying I understand the weight when your livelihood is on this. When you've got children, you've got tuition, you've got schools, and you've got, uh, uh, you know, mortgages, and you've got car payments, you've got the whole bit. And then how pastors use their money is already scrutinized as it is. I get it. The motivations, the things that come into play, the deceptions that, be, that start to show up, and the challenging and the questioning where everybody thinks. And when I say these things, just as a disclaimer, I'm not saying you. I'm saying the overall general consensus. Everybody thinks they know what a pastor should be doing. 
and they think they know what a pastor is doing with his time. And they think they know what a pastor is, how they're handling their kids and how they're handling the ministry and why they're really in the ministry to begin with. Everybody thinks they know that. So I understand those pressures and I can understand why it is scrutinized to the level it is today. And I can understand why pastors make the decisions they make. But Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is actually responding to challengers of his authority and position to the church. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he actually takes a weird approach for Paul. He never really did this. In chapter 10, he responds doctrinally, biblically, of why he is called and why he's answered the call and why, according to the words of Jesus, he's doing what he knows he's called to do. And that these people that come in to challenge and question his authority and question what he's preaching, and he helps the church out. But then in chapter 11, he does something weird. He says, you know what? For the sake of argument and for the sake of you understanding where I'm coming from, I'm going to come down to your level. And now he actually refutes their challenges on natural basis and element alone. His knowledge, his background, his experience, who he is as a man, his criteria, what he's accomplished. And in verse 1, I'm going to read this out of the the Christian Standard Bible. In verse 1, he says, I wish you would put up with the little foolishness from me. (laughs) He says, okay, if you don't want to believe me for the sake of the word and for the sake of doctrinal reasons why I'm doing what I know I'm called to do, I'll come down to your level. Let Let me put up with me for a minute. I'll tell you why all these people are liars. I'll tell you why all these people that you're listening to and that you're entertaining, because he addresses that here in a minute, why they're wrong and why you are wrong for giving ear to them. I wish you'd put up with the little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. He says the number one motivation of a minister is to present a bride to a groom. Sometimes I think we forget that. I think that we have lost sight of the fact that we are the bride of Christ. You are literally about to be presented to your future husband. And in Ephesians chapter 5, without turning there, without going there for the sake of time, Paul addresses that. He compares the, 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 the marriage on earth to the relationship between the church and Jesus. And says Jesus is the groom and church is the bride. And he says, I want to present or the church ought to be presented to Jesus, to the groom, spotless, holy, blameless. You know why a pastor takes your righteousness and unrighteousness so seriously? It's because he knows he's being held accountable for how he presents you to Jesus himself. How you stand before Jesus weighs on me. 
I'm not trying to be critical and judgmental. I'm not trying to give you hard standards to live by. I'm recognizing you're going to stand before Jesus one day. You will stand. I won't stand for you. But I will be held accountable. Did I tell them everything they needed to know? Did I help direct them and counsel them out of that? If I told them they did, I, if they were making a foolish choice, did I tell them they were making a foolish choice? If they were running toward the railroad tracks, did I tell them the train was coming to destroy their life? Paul said in Acts chapter 20, he said, I have, I have never refused or refrained from giving you the whole counsel of the word of God because your blood is on my hands. It's not being hard. We, we have gotten to a place in society where we refuse authority in, in any model whatsoever. And that's what happens. When you see inferior authority, it causes you to lose credibility in any authority. So we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We throw the system out with the individuals that may have screwed it up or messed it up. And that's what was happening when I began this whole study in the first place was I was watching individuals in high positions because that's the way the enemy operates. He wants the mega church pastors to fall. I told you last week, just because it's a mega church doesn't mean that they have compromised something to get there or they have, have not acknowledged the word or they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing. God wants growth. God wants increase. But there are many of them that on a high platform have failed. And guess what? It did not just compromise the leader. It compromised every person under them that called themselves a member of that church, that followed their teaching. And especially if they're immature Christians that haven't even fully formed in the faith, they're, the first thing they're going to say is, that's why I didn't want to do this stuff in the first place. And turning half-hearted believers into atheists overnight because they can't keep themselves right morally, doctrinally, financially, in all the different ways that we see pastors falling today. But we are presenting a bride to Christ. And the way some people talk about the church, I wonder if you would let someone talk about your wife that way. Yeah. How do you think Jesus feels every time we cut down the church because we've been hurt, we grow bitter, offenses take root in our hearts? I'm not going to get any amens on this, and I don't really care. But this is what is happening in the world today is we've just grown comfortable with deluding and criticizing and critiquing his bride, who he's marrying, who he wants to have a relationship with. I mean, every man in this room, if you call yourself a man, you know you wouldn't put up with someone talking down to or about your wife that way. But we've just grown comfortable with it. But this is the bride of Christ. And whether we've lost the value or not doesn't really matter. Jesus still has the same value. He's building his church. He's given gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. And he is still going to receive to himself a bride that is holy and spotless without blame. He will receive that. And you and I will have nothing to do with that. That will take place. The only question is, will you be a part of it? That's the only question. He will receive his bride in the very condition that the word says he will receive it. 
And so he says, I'm jealous with you for a godly jealousy because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. Verse 3, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is the thing we have to understand is the enemy has not changed his tactics from the beginning. As he deceived Eve in that garden, he is still deceiving today. And this is what Paul's addressing, that you have tolerated something that seemed right, but is wrong. You've allowed something that had this, this, this outlying factor, this impression and this perception and this image, but he's saying it's all a mirage. It's not real. He seduced you. Deception is still the number one tactic of the enemy. That's why he sends wolves in as sheep in sheep's clothing. Because he knows I may not be able to get them by just showing it in their face. I'm a wolf and I'm here to destroy your life. But I'll send them in in sheep's clothing and look just like one of them. Yeah. He's still doing it today. And he says, you're giving in to the seduction. And then he explains it. Verse 4, for if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted. Look at this. You put up with it splendidly. We, gotta under, we have to understand, what we tolerate, we become. The enemy doesn't thrust himself into your life with just blatant destruction. He gets you to accept it on a seed level, a small level. The, understand, the, 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 the devil understands sowing and reaping, maybe more than believers do. He understands what is planted will produce fruit one day. And he's okay. I don't have to put the tree in there. I'm just going to plant the seed. I'm going to get them to accept it on a small level that seems minuscule and seems, you know, harmless. And watch that thing grow. Absolutely. Verse 5, now I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. He calls them. Even if I am untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made that clear to you in everything. I love that he just lets them know because one of the, one of the comments about Paul was he wasn't a great speaker. And you can only imagine as, well, as great of an author as he was and as great of a writer as he was when he shows up in the church physically and he's this meek old man that's bent over, uh, hardly even able to walk because he's been beat so many times and stoned half to death and shipwrecked and, and, and you know, left for dead and all the other mess he went through. You imagine he's not coming in there like, you know, I'm just a CEO of some great ministry. He looks like some old man ready to just kill over. And then they say, on top of that, he wasn't a great speaker. And then he would get compared to people like Apollos, who was a great speaker. But tell me a book Apollos wrote. Because they each have their gift. 
And so he says, fine, you want to cut me down on my speaking? You you, you can't say that I don't know what I'm talking about because I've given you clear knowledge. But here's what was happening. He would give them the clear gospel. And let me tell you something, guys. The gospel is, is easy. The gospel is easy. The Bible is easy. The Bible is, is so easy to understand that it takes a great theologian to mess it all up. To complicate things. To confuse things. To twist things. The gospel is is easy to understand. It it is simple to understand, yet it's just supernatural enough to still demand faith. But you're not going to understand it because your natural mind goes, oh, it's because your spirit says, yep, that's it. So Paul, giving them the simple gospel, is now getting overrun by these individuals that can speak so well and are so articulate and so eloquent and have all these great ways of putting things and have all these great ways of explaining things and, and unexplaining things that Paul was trying to say and bringing in confusion because that's what the enemy does. If the enemy can't keep it from you, then he'll confuse you. I've already said that. And so he's just, they're coming in to twist and distort and he's saying, you've tolerated it. You've allowed it, splendidly allowed it. And now you, yourself, if you continue to live your life believing a lie, don't be surprised when you're living a lie. If you continue to believe a lie, then do not be surprised when you show up living a lie. Because if you believe it, you will become it. And so he says, Verse 6, even if I'm untrained in public speaking, I'm certainly not untrained in knowledge. Verse 7, or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Now he's bringing in the question of finance. And he's letting them know, man, I came and gave to you without you giving in return. He actually lets them know in in another chapter, I think it's chapter 8 or chapter 9, there's actually another church funding me coming to minister to you, the Macedonians. And he said that church was poor. He, He called on that. He said that they gave out of what they didn't have. And still had a heart to give. They still said, we want that, Corinth, that church in Corinth so blessed. We want you to be able to go. We, we want to give and we want to sow towards you. Because Paul lived a life bivocationally. Paul didn't live a life for the paycheck. Paul didn't live a life for the increase. Paul didn't live a life uh, so that he could have all the fame and all the influence. He didn't live the life for the followers and the fans and the tweets and the likes. He didn't live a life for that stuff. He lived a life because he wanted to see the kingdom advance. He wanted to see people increase. He wanted to see believers equipped to do the work of ministry. And so he actually went to Corinth on the dime of the Macedonians, even though the church at Corinth had the capacity to give. So he says in verse 8, he says this facetiously, sarcastically, he says, I robbed other churches by taking pay from them to minister to you. He's speaking foolishly, remember. 
He's brought, he's brought himself down. He said, okay, fine. You, you want to attack me and you want to question my, challenge my authority and question my position to, to bring the word to you? Let me just tell you what's going on. He says, I took from other churches to come and minister to you. And of course, he adds just a little flare of sarcasm in there and says, I robbed them. When I was present with you and in need, I did not burden anyone. Since the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my needs, I have kept myself and I will keep myself from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the region of Achaia. Why? Because because I don't love you, God knows I do. But I will continue to do what I am doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. What's he saying? When you're living your life under deception, you have become just like Satan himself. Satan always comes in a disguise. Satan always comes in something he is not. Satan never intends to be what he pretends to be. Satan is the ultimate hypocrite. And when we live hypocritical and when we live according to what we are not and and working in deception and working uh, in ways that are mysterious and, and doing these things and challenging the authority in the church, he says, you've become just like Satan himself. You're actually putting on the same mirage that he puts on. So it is no great surprise if his, certain, if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. Go with me to John chapter 10. We'll wrap it up here. John chapter 10. We need strong leaders in the church. We do. We need humble leaders. We need leaders that understand that they are presenting a bride to Christ. We need leaders that are not willing to cut corners. We need leaders. I'm going to tell you right now, America... The church in America is not built on the backs of megachurch leaders. It's built on the backs of pastors that go in every day, many of them bivocationally, leading churches of 120 people and less. 80% of churches in America have less than 120 people. There's most likely more than 120 people in this room alone. And we've got the pastors of those churches feeling inferior and inadequate and insecure about their calling to the ministry because they see some, because every single one of their 120 in their membership is YouTubing and following and liking a Stephen Furtick or a, or a Craig Rochelle or a, or, and I'm not saying these people are bad. I listen to some of these individuals. I'm telling you that they're pastoring churches in cities that the percentage, they've got 20,000 in their church, but there's 20 million in their city. 
And those guys, there's no way you're making contact and you're pastoring 20,000 people. You're pastoring pastors to pastor 20,000 people. But it, it, it is, it, it is it's sickening to me. And it, it just puts a pit in my stomach to see pastors feeling like absolute failures because all their people are listening to Monday through Saturday. To, they're giving more credence to some guy miles away, sometimes half the country away. They don't have the same value for the pastor in their own town because you don't have the following. You don't have the presentation. You don't have the finance. You don't have the reach. You don't have the expansion. You don't have the increase. It's garbage. It's, gar- it's, not, it's not the efforts of pastors that are lead- leading these mega church congregations that, that is advancing the kingdom alone. It's not. It's these pastors and these small churches that are visiting people in hospitals that are counseling couples sometimes 10, 50, 20 times on the same exact deal every single, but giving them the same grace, believing that they can break through, believing that they can make it, believing that they'll find hope, believing that the situation will turn around. They're, They're praying with them when their child is diagnosed or sometimes even passes away. They're rejoicing with the ones that get the promotion and get the increase. And so many times they're doing it within minutes of each other. One night within 30 minutes, I had to rejoice with someone that finally got the dream job they were believing for. And 30 minutes later, I get a phone call. Someone lost their wife. That they were believing God for. They would receive healing. They would see the, within 30 minutes. This is what the pastors are doing. I'm not, I'm not preaching this way to build myself up. I'm not preaching so you can give me a pity party. I'm letting you know what we need in this country and what we need in the kingdom of God is strong leaders. And we have to get to a place where we value what a strong leader really looks like again. They don't all drive Mercedes and they don't have two or three houses across the country and they don't have jets that they can fly anywhere they want at any time they want. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying it's not a a picture of success. I believe that there are so many pastors when they stand before Jesus. They live this earth feeling inferior and feeling faulty and feeling like a failure and feeling like they weren't ever doing enough. And they preached every Sunday knowing half of their congregation was ready to criticize them the second they said one thing that that, that they didn't agree with or align with. And they did it anyways. They're going to stand before Jesus. They're going to get the commendation. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little. I believe that. It's not the size that is a presentation of success. It's not the finance. It's not the reach. It's the day-to-day drive. John chapter 10. Jesus once again gives us contrast. Verse 1, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So we're contrasting the shepherd versus the thief. To him, the doorkeeper 
opens and the sheep hears his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Verse 7, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep and all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and they and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Here it is, verse 12. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own and the father as the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Real quickly, I want to address this issue of the hireling. The hireling is one who is hired for their service. It's literally what that means. It's a hired hand. It's a hired hand. And hirelings have different motivations than pastors. I want to give you the same disclaimer that I gave last week. I am not telling you this so you can go out and try to uh, solve who's a hireling and who's a pastor. But it will give you a better recognition. If you can see the counterfeit, then you can see what what the authentic is supposed to look like. So for the sake of contrasting the two, I want to highlight these factors. Hirelings pretend to be what they are not. It's the first thing you need to know. Hirelings pretend to be what they are not. That's why many times Jesus did it too, called them false teachers, false prophets, spreading false doctrine. False means fake. It means it's not real. It means that it may put on an image of something, but at its core, it is not that. A hireling pretends to be what he is not. And again, we already addressed that deception is the enemy's number one tactic. And the enemy loves when hirelings show up in churches. The enemy loves when hirelings are given influence that they never earned. The hireling loves when they uh, have an opportunity to spread false doctrine and and it is received as if it is the very truth. And let me tell you this, the Bible also tells us that in the end, they will heap up for themselves teachers. So that means this, there will be no shortage of hirelings in the end days. There will be plenty to go around. There may be two for every church. There'll be plenty of hirelings to choose from but the results will not be the same. There's plenty of them. Number two, they serve the crowd instead of the king. They serve the crowd instead of the king. 
what they do and what they don't do is always motivated and directed by how will the crowd respond every time. That's their only motivation. They're not led by the Spirit. They don't even remain fundamental and foundational in scriptural teaching. If it's 2022 and people are more promiscuous today than they were in the beginning, then immorality and fornication and adultery and those things are now tolerated and allowed. And, and, and there are churches today that tolerate uh, immorality in positions of leadership, in positions of serving teams, and even in the pastoral layer itself. There are gay pastors. Well, there aren't, but you know what I mean. Yeah. They're serving the crowd instead of the king. Number three, they're more interested, more interested in performance than people. They love statistics. What were the numbers? Everything's got to be up and to the right. You know, Jesus had a lot of down and to the left days. Jesus had a lot of one step forward, three step back days. He didn't serve the crowd. He wasn't there for performance. Jesus was trying to build a kingdom. He wasn't trying to build a castle. Uh, What are we on? Number four, they live only for the benefits of ministry and not the struggle it brings. They live only for the benefits, the money, the influence, the fame, being known, the followers. That's what they live for. They don't ever think about the complications of it. I've heard a phrase more times than I can count in the last several months. It's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have. It's still a problem. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's still a problem. Don't have enough seats. It's a good problem to have, Pastor. Yep. Now we got to spend $5,000 on getting more seats in here. Hello? Y'all don't think about that. You just think about good problem to have, good problem to have. Look at us, we're exploding. Yeah, but we got parking lot issues. We're out of space. We're out of seats. No, they just live for the benefits. I can promise you everything in life you were motivated initially by the benefit. Marriage. Lots of benefits. Lots of problems. That's why it's called a honeymoon season. Uh, The honeymoon's over, isn't it? Because when you leave the bit, leave the leave the beach, and you leave Cosmel, and you leave uh, you know the island, and you come back home to the to the house, and you come back home to the the laundry, and you come back home to the dishes, and you come back. He's gone all the time. Why is he always working? That's what you loved about him. It attracted you. Now it annoys you. You were attracted to him because he was a quiet man. He's a silent type. He's mysterious. Now he won't talk to you. We're in my office back there counseling. He won't open up. He won't say nothing to me. (laughs) Hello. 
Y'all ain't going to give me nothing today. I'm up here all by myself. Y'all all thought about all the problems before you took any step or made any decision in your life, apparently. Yeah. Uh, number five, they draw people to themselves, not Jesus. They draw people to themselves, not Jesus. Be leery of anyone that wants you to follow them. And I'll go a step further. Many of these individuals leech onto the influence of another. And I'll just go ahead and be bold enough to say this right now. In this church, as our church grows, there will be people that will come, and their only intent is to use my platform and to use the influence of Anchor Faith Church to draw you to them. They won't go to a church of 25 people to do it. They want the church that's booming. They want the church that everybody's talking about. They want the church where everybody loves their pastor, and that's this church. They want the church that, that, that people are excited about, and that, that's where they're going to go, and they're going to say there's a bunch of people there, and it's big enough where I can get lost in the shuffle. It's big enough that I can make influence and kind of fly under the radar. I'm just telling you, I'm not saying this because we're fearful. I'm not saying this to make you scared or to look over your shoulder. I'm telling you, it's the word of God. And I know how the enemy works. And it, the devil is a liar. He ain't going to be stepping up in here with no uh, spineless authority that's going to let people do whatever they want and hold whatever they want and host whatever they want. There's people in our church, I mean, they, they, they make great influence, but I'm, I tell them all the time, I'm telling you right now, this is not an anchor faith church uh, uh, designed or backed thing. And if you get off, I will address it. And if I'm hearing that people are coming to your thing and you're not giving the word like we know the, what the word says, then I will tell it and I'll make it known. For the sake of clarity and for the sake of aligning with the word, not our preferences and perspectives. And there will be people that will come in. They'll just see the growth and see the increase, and the devil will leech right onto that. Yes, he will. I ain't mad about it. I'm just telling you I'll address it. That's okay. So they draw people to themselves. And it's funny because every time they say this, we're just doing kingdom work. We're in the kingdom together. People have now taken the word kingdom to mean anything that happens outside of the church. They do it. I hear it. I hear them say it. And then when I am so invested and involved with what's happening here in Anchor Faith Church, they'll try to say, well, are you really about the kingdom, brother? We, we need to be about the kingdom. You can't be about the kingdom without being about the church. And vice versa. You can't be about the church without being about the kingdom. It is his legislative assembly. So if anybody ever tells you that, just refer them to the messages from about March 1 to now May 1 of 2022 at Anchor Faith Church, and that ought to help clear any issue there. This is the most kingdom thing Jesus is doing in the earth today. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Number six. They're promoted prematurely. They're promoted prematurely. One, thing's, one thing that hirelings hate is obscurity. They hate it. 
because they draw people to themselves and they want to be known and they want to make the money. And so they're looking for the fast track to the top. They'll take every shortcut possible. Every one of them. Endure sound doctrinal teaching in a Bible school uh, setting? No, not going to do that. There's got to be a six-week course out there somewhere. Come on. Y'all are way too quiet in this. Come on. It's what they do. They'll look for every shortcut possible. You know, you know who had to go through obscurity? Joseph. I mean, you can't get more obscure than a pit waiting to die. Joshua. Joshua had to roam around a wilderness that he had the faith to conquer himself out of for 40 years with a bunch of unrighteous, complaining, grumbling. And he just remained there until his time came in Joshua chapter 1. Now my, now my, serv- my servant Moses is dead. Lead these people in. And he was ready to go. 80 plus years old. David. Anointed king cleaning up sheep poop. Getting sent on little minuscule errands like take your brother's meat and cheese at the battlefield. I know I'm going a little longer, but this is good. We need this. Jesus tried to get alone as much as he could. Paul endured seven years of training before he entered ministry. Good, there's, there, there are good things that can happen in obscurity. Great things. I don't want to get big before it's time. I've had people tell me, Pastor Moore, you need to be online. You need to do this. You need to get a podcast. That's not my thing, man. I'm not chasing anything but what God has called me to do. I'm not trying to get known. I've had people tell me, you know, this word, this word's got to get out. It'll get out when it needs to get out. And it'll get out to the people it needs to get out to. Those things don't motivate me. It's why every famous person wishes they could be obscure. They wish they could go to a grocery store and nobody knew them. I'm serious. They try to get away to places where nobody can find them and nobody can get to them. But not the hireling. They get promoted too prematurely. They're put in positions that give them access to more than they can handle. And that's why they're failing, guys. That's why they're failing. I mean, there are programs out there today that that you can start, you can plant a church, start a church with 200 people and a $40,000 a year salary. Out the gate. It took us 10 years to get there. Out the gate, they're doing that. So they're starting the church with that many, with volunteers. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, what, what, whatever the program is, you better recognize there is sacrifice involved. There is a price to pay. And I thank God for every sacrifice we made. We came here, I, I, was, I had interviews, I had resumes put in. And when we came here, and at the, at the 11th hour, someone in our church in, in, in St. Augustine, Florida said, we will pay your, your salary. For a certain period of time. I think, it was, I think it was two years. The first two years. No, it wasn't even salary. It was housing. Housing. Which is just what needs to be paid. 
And then when that was up, the church wasn't in place. Uh, the, the, I think the church took on the housing at that point, and I still, you know, still needed funds beyond that. And I worked for Office Depot, and I worked for Walgreens. And I walked to work. Did I not? One vehicle. Camden's three, four years old. I'm, again, I'm not telling you this to look at me to, to, to pump myself up. I'm telling you that when you're motivated by the right things, there's all kinds of, there's countless sacrifices and every single one is worth it. There's times I'll, go, I'll drive down Bay Tree and think, man, I used to work, I used to walk this. At 5.30 in the morning to be at work by 6 a.m. Yeah, rain, cold, heat, whatever. Sure did. And I'd do it all over again. I said I would do it all over again because your paycheck isn't paying us. Your paycheck isn't why we're in this. Your giving and, and your, your tithing and, your, and the Lord has increased. It's been amazing. It's been great. But you're not our supply. God is. God is our supply. And if that goes away, I'll find someone else that God will supply the need through. And we're just that, that, that settled in it. We didn't come here for a paycheck, and we're not staying here for a paycheck. Okay. The last one. Worship team, go ahead and come. Get me off the stage. Last one. They flee in crisis. The hireling will flee in crisis. Real pastors live for crisis. It's amazing how they'll, they'll show up when everything's great and they leave when everything's gone wrong. You know what a real pastor will do? He'll show up when it's all in the dumps, when it's down, because he sees people's lives that are worth being invested in. Everything we have ever done to this point and everything we will continue to do is motivated by seeing people's lives. We exist to see people anchored to Christ to live life by faith. That's not just some catchy phrase that goes up on a wall and goes on a website and, 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 and that we throw out as our That's why we are here, seeing people. Not seeing a ministry explode, not seeing buildings built, not seeing parking lots paved, not seeing schools put in operation, not seeing funds go to overseas. It's to see people's lives anchored to Christ to live life by faith. And nothing will change. If we're going to build the church the way he's called us to build the church, that we are going to have to have an appreciation for the leadership and for the authority and for how he has instituted. It, it, this is not a time to question, to challenge, to backbite, to say, well, I like this, but I don't really like that. And, 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 I mean, people, some people change their pastors like they change their clothes, guys. We've all seen brokenness. We've all seen leaders that have fallen. We have all seen those that, that didn't meet the mark. I may fail you. But I shouldn't be your motivation for coming through these doors anyways. If we're truly going to do what God has called us to do as a church, if we're truly going to be what God has called, not just Anchor Faith Church, but the body of Christ, we've got to follow the plan. And he's given us such a perfect plan. 
I can tell you right now, if you follow the plan, it will not fail. It will not fail. It will succeed. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.